0: over 50 writing in life's sweetest third authors over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication writing after 50 is a whole story on its own so let's skip to life's sweetest third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish Welcome. I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career, and publishing their first book, after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is a Sarton Award winner for her debut novel, *Loose*. Her second novel, Josie and Vic, will be published in April 2023. After working for a decade as a registered nurse, she returned to college to pursue her passion for literature and writing. She's a former English teacher at a Los Angeles public high school and English as a second language instructor to adults from all over the world. Her experience as an immigrant rights advocate influences much of her writing. She currently lives with her husband and little dog in California, just minutes from her two horses. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Deborah Thomas.
1: I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Deborah, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, so what took you so long to write your first book?
1: Well, for me, it's not so much what took me so long, because being a writer has been a part of who I am for decades, but like so many other women, the chaos and complications of life delayed my dreams of writing a novel. In my 30s, it was marriage and children, Uh, going to college in my 30s when my kids were little. Um, And then in the 40s, divorce and working as a single mom, all of that delayed my dreams of writing a novel. But the real answer to your question is it couldn't have happened at a better time in my life. I published my novel in my 60s. And oh my gosh, it opened up a whole new chapter, a whole new journey. I'm sure you know what I'm saying. Uh, Given purpose and meaning and joy at just the perfect time in my life. In fact, my novel came out in June 2020, right in the midst of the pandemic. And in a strange way, it it was a great benefit. I mean, with virtual events and social media as being the focus, I've met so many new friends, readers and writers, uh, reconnected with old friends uh, from high school, from my hometown. So the whole writing after 50 (laughs) um, has turned out to be an absolute thrill. Couldn't have happened at a better time.
0: I certainly agree. And that's why I call it writing and life's sweetest third. That's right. <laughs> well, once you wrote this first book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self publish?
1: Well, actually, this was a bit of a journey too. Um, an earlier draft of Palouse, which was called Searching for Dolores, because Dolores Huerta is a character in the book. Dolores Huerta was Cesar Chavez's uh, partner. They they created the farm workers um, uh, union together. And so the book was called Searching for Dolores because she's in the book. And um, I did finally get an agent. It took me a year and a half. Uh, And then the agent, it took another long period of time to, you know, put it on her list and then get it out there. It made the rounds of some big houses. They asked for the full manuscript. You've heard the story before. Uh, a, A couple of very important editors hung on to it for a few months. And I was just so thrilled. And then ultimately they passed because, of course, they get thousands and they narrow down, narrow down. Yeah. And I was devastated. And for a while, I didn't write. And uh, then I went to a writer's conference in Monterey and met Elizabeth McKenzie, writer and uh, an editor of some literary magazines. And she ended up, long story short, reading this manuscript and telling me, you know, this is not a practice novel. This is the real deal. You need to get, you know, back out, get it back out there, but, you know, put your blood, sweat and tears into it. And she gave me some advice on how to updated a little and how to uh, areas that she felt I could embellish and enhance. And so I put a little time into that and uh, and then was just about to look for agents again and thinking, oh, here we go again, another two or three years, right? When uh, a friend told me about She Writes Press, a hybrid press with a huge reputation, you know, they were highly respected. And so I sent my manuscript to them. And they accepted it right away for their, you know, what they now call green light. And uh, that the rest is history. And I am so thrilled to have published with them because it's such a sisterhood of writers. In fact, a couple of us have formed a writing group and uh, we've pushed each other through the pandemic to our next books. So that's been that's been a thrill.
0: That's the praise that I always hear from She Writes, the community that's built among women writers. That's right. What was your inspiration for your first book?
1: Well, that's uh, quite a bit of a story. I'll try to keep it short. But back in the mid to late 90s, I was teaching English as a second language to adults. And many of them were Spanish speaking. And I felt a real connection to them uh, because I'm Italian. And being around them reminded me of growing up in my Italian neighborhood. Spanish and Italian are very similar the ranchero music reminded me of my grandpa's music, um, you know, the Catholic religion, the central role of the woman, mother and the family, uh, the blessed virgin, even food, you know, I mean, so much about it. So I felt a real connection to my students. Um, at that time I was going through a divorce and my family was back on the East coast and I'm on the West coast. And so many of them became my friends um, and kind of a surrogate family. But at the same time, I was reading about the deaths in the desert uh, at the borders of California, Arizona, uh, of people coming up from Mexico because the Mexican economy had plummeted and many of the migrants were coming. And our country um, responded with Operation Gatekeeper, increased fences, et cetera. And it didn't stop them. It pushed them further east through the deserts. So I became involved in immigrant rights. Um, I joined Amnesty International. Um, I had an experience with Border Links in Arizona, Nogales, Arizona, where you go across the border and you speak to people on both sides of the border and really broaden my knowledge and understanding and empathy. Um, And then the best thing that happened was uh, I met Father Richard Estrada here in L.A., uh, who was uh, a volunteer with the Water Stations Project. And these are people who go out in the desert and leave water and mark them with blue flags. So all of this was an experience that I had. And as you know, when we write, we often put some of our real life experiences. Um, And when I first I knew I wanted to write about it, I wanted people to understand what I have learned about you know, this, this whole situation, it's a controversial topic. But um, I first started writing from my point of view, a white woman who learns these things, and it just fell flat. And uh, so I took a class with Gail Brandeis, who was the winner of the Barbara Kingsolver Award for fiction of social justice. And I love all of Barbara Kingsolver's novels. And long story short, in a response to an assignment, I began writing in the voice of a young Mexican girl whose father was a migrant farm worker who goes missing. And uh, that's Alma's voice. And it just poured out of me. Um, and I was encouraged by my class and by my by Gail. And uh, it became loose. Um, and it, it I was hoping to draw readers into her experience and to look through her eyes you know as Atticus Finch says in To Kill a Mockingbird you never understand a person until you consider their point of view and climb in their skin and walk around in it because I wanted people to feel what Alma felt and to see what she saw and so that that was Luce and Luce by the way is the name of her daughter uh, Alma's daughter is Luce, and she's given that name for a very specific reason, a very touching reason. If if you read the book, you'll discover. And Luce means light in Spanish. And I wanted to convey some light on a very dark and, and troubling topic. So that was my journey to Luce.
0: Well, I too write about different cultures. And I, I write about Native Americans and and uh, Latina uh, women. And I just wonder if, you know, we set ourselves up sometimes uh, for people to say cultural appropriation. How do you handle that question?
1: Well, obviously, I was uh, concerned about that before I published the novel. And I reached out, well, they 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 now refer to it as sensitivity readers. I had never heard that term before. But I wanted my novel to be read by someone who was both uh, latina american and also familiar with mexico and i reached out to alma Luz Villanueva, who is a american book award winner a, an american writer who has lived in mexico for the last i believe 15 or 16 years even though she's here from the u.s raised her children here and published here uh and she's a real tough cookie too and she said she read the manuscript but she was going to be brutally honest And to my joy, she felt it was genuine and authentic. But that's that's her opinion. And I knew that there would be people out there who would uh, feel that it wasn't my place to write an Alma's voice. And I respect that. Um, But at the same time, it was it it was, uh, you know, I think Raina Grandy said something that you can write whatever you want, as long as you do it with integrity, responsibility. And for me, with passion. I mean, this was something I was passionate about that kept me up at night. Uh, it meant something to me, and it and it's what I had to write about. Um, and uh, I, I did think, thankfully, I've reached a lot of people who said, my goodness, I didn't know anything about mu- much of the, what you talked about. This is all new to me. And so I did um, connect with some people in the way that I hope to.
0: That's the way I feel, too. And I have um, used sensitivity readers as well, and they're most helpful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. How did you determine the plot of the, of the book?
1: Well, I'm, I, I, I'm kind of an organic writer. Um, I don't plot it all out. I just kind of have an idea where I'm going. I knew she was gonna go on a journey from southernmost Mexico uh, and she was gonna travel through the length of Mexico. And along the way, I wanted her to meet different types of people and some would be kind and some would be cruel. There are some very horrendous things that happen to women that are traveling and trying to cross the border. Uh, I knew I wanted the border crossings to be very realistic and unsuccessful a number of times because I've met many people who've tried again and again. Um, I wanted to convey what compels people to leave their homes because no one wants, wants to leave their home. And uh, But then once she uh, gets to LA, I knew I wanted there to be uh, someplace where she could feel at home, have found her home. I wasn't sure what would happen with her search for her father. Uh, and all of that kind of developed on its own as I wrote, it came, and uh, I, I didn't plan that out. So that that was that's what I love about writing is the organic process of just going and letting. Well, some people say let your characters lead you or your unconscious. Whatever it is, uh, it worked for me.
0: Those characters really do start taking over our bodies and and start speaking to mm-hmm. us. I do believe that.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: What about your writing routine? Are you a morning person or a night person? Do you write every day?
1: That has actually changed over the years. Um, I used to think I had to have absolute silence and solitude. Um, and for example, when I first started writing, I um, I, I was still working, but I had long periods of time off. I worked at a year round school, high school. So we would work for four months and be off for two, work for four, off for two. So my, hu- I'd wait for my husband to go to work and I would sit down, you know, early in the morning. I'd write all day long. And if anybody was around, I did, you know, oh, no, no, no. It has to be quiet and solid. That's changed. My husband is retired. I'm retired. And. People knock at the door, the dog barks, or needs to go out. And so I've completely changed uh, my routine and I can pretty much write anywhere, anytime. Um, you know, know, I don't want the TV on or whatever right next to me. But my current routine, and I say current because things can change. I have horses, I get up early, I go over to uh, the ranch and take care of them for an hour or two, come back, spend a little time with my husband, we'll often sit in our back patio area. And then I come in and get to work maybe around noon or one. And I might work for three or four hours. If I'm on a roll, I might go more. Um, And sometimes I work every day and sometimes I give myself the weekend off. So it, it varies.
0: Well, I'm still stuck in that mode of needing total silence. I don't know how people can can put music on or listen to lyrics or anything like that, because that's what's in my head. And I have to get right. totally <laughs> silent and in a room all by myself, away from the dogs and my husband and everybody. <laughs> what about publicity? You know, we writers don't like to publicize ourselves, market ourselves, we'd rather be writing. Have you found anything that worked or, or maybe even that didn't work?
1: Well, I think for everyone, you have to find what you're comfortable with. And for me, it's social media, um, Facebook, mostly I'm not on Twitter at all. Um, so, uh, and a little bit of Instagram, but, but mostly Facebook and all of those wonderful book clubs on Facebook. Those are fabulous. Um, uh, I do. I did um, have a publicist for the launch of Loose, and uh, with my new book, um, I just didn't have the money to put into a, a huge, you know, uh, uh, expense, and so I found a, a wonderful publicist, Blue Cottage Agency, who will do a la carte uh, things, you know, a, a few small things helping to launch, and she's been wonderful, um, at, it, Krista Sukup's her name, and she's been wonderful in getting Josie and Vic beginning to get out there. My novel doesn't come out until April, but that's, that's what I'm doing with that. But mostly it's, you know, social media and connecting with other writers, supporting other writers, uh, you know, we help each other like you're doing and what you're doing is absolutely wonderful.
0: Well, thank you. The, the writing community is so generous and, and I'm just trying to pay it forward with my little part of the world. (laughs) Can you describe the editing process you chose for your books?
1: Well, I'm one of those writers that when I write a chapter, I go back and I go through it again. And then I move forward. Um, Now, since I joined the writing critique group um, during the pandemic, I have found that very helpful, giving them um, maybe a couple of chapters that I'm not certain about and taking their advice and going back and making some changes. So uh, but but pretty much as I, I go along, I go back and then I go along and then I go back and, and you know, tighten it up. Uh, if I discover new things, when I get to the end, I might go back and, and plug in things, you know, maybe more foreshadowing or more description if I've learned more, um, that sort of thing.
0: Well, I know you lived a lot of, of the immigrant workers life and, and experiences with them. Did you have to do a lot of research? And if so, did you do all of that up front, or did you do it as you went along?
1: Well, I guess because, um, it all came first, really. It's not like I said, oh, I want to write about this. I'm going to go research it. It, I mean, I was immersed in it for many, many years. And so I, at that time, I had read voraciously anything I could get my hands on to better understand. Um, and so when I sat down to write the book, um, maybe I had to go back to refresh my memory about some statistics, for example, um, because in loose I have math problems, math word problems, because all my... Um, Alma loves math and she wants to be a math teacher and she's given a little uh, journal on her journey and she sits down thinking she's going to write a diary, but instead she finds herself writing a math word problem and they have something to do with that, whatever happened in that chapter and it moves the plot along. So in that case, I did in some, a couple of problems, I needed some statistics, um, you know, that I need to go back and, and, and look up that sort of thing.
0: Well, that certainly is unique, I think. I've never heard of uh, reading problems, math problems in a novel. I
1: had no idea how it would be accepted. The idea actually came from Gail Brandeis again in our class. She said, break the form in some way. And I kept thinking of like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel, where she has recipes and it has something to do with the chapter. And I thought, hmm, and I had already said I wanted um, Alma to love school and in particular math, because I was trying to encourage young women to see that math and science and technology could be cool. You know, as a high school teacher, we're always trying to encourage our, our girls to look beyond where they think they're limited, you know, to go beyond. And uh, so I had already said she was a math, uh, she loved math. And I thought, well, maybe I'll try this and just see how it works. So uh, I I didn't know. Um, In fact, the first version, when I had an agent, she often sent two different copies to uh, different um, editors because thinking, you know, let's see which one catches their attention more. But long story short here, I've gotten wonderful comments from my readers that they thought it was a clever idea. Um, yeah, one woman said it was a great way to, to pass on information or even, you know, a message without sounding preachy. So <laughs> that was clever to, of her to say. So,
0: Well, I love the idea about our young women loving math because I did not love math and my oldest daughter did not love math. But my oldest granddaughter is a wizard at math. She's a mm-hmm. national semi merit a uh, scholar and and so she is one of the top one percent in the country in math <laughs>
1: somebody encouraged her to go in that direction That's
0: yes why don't you read from your book for us so that we can hear your tone and voice you can set up the scene
1: okay actually i'm what i'm going to read is just from the opening so you get a sense of alma's voice it's los angeles 2015. You don't know anything, my daughter Luce shouts, stamping her foot in defiance. At 14, she thinks she knows everything. Yesterday, it was about a boy who's old enough to drive a car, a car that she'll never ride in unless he's willing to wait until she's 18. Today, her anger is fueled by yesterday's argument as she tells me that I know nothing about the Central American children who are fleeing poverty and crime and have been detained at the Texas border if she only knew what I do know, but I can't tell her, not everything. We had been watching the news when the screen filled suddenly with young brown faces and a headline, the kids are back, referring to the previous year's migrant children desperate to cross the border and those newly arrived. I had whispered softly, mostly to myself, God bless you, pobrecitos, perhaps you should have stayed home. When my daughter jumped up from her chair and exploded with her, you don't know anything, remark, followed by, just because you crossed the border a long time ago, you think you know what's happening today? A long time ago? Not so long, though to her, it is a lifetime. I was just a couple of years older than Luce when I made my journey, and then she was born. I didn't mean it that way, Luce. I'm not saying they shouldn't have come. I just meant, well... I know the hardships they must have endured. Not worse than the hardships they are fleeing, she says, her nostrils flaring like Manuel's when he was angry. I suppress a slight smile at this familiar sight and sigh. Maybe, maybe not. It's complicated. I look up into her dark eyes. There is much I wish I could tell her, but she's so young. I have always thought that maybe one day when she's older, I will tell her more. I want her to know me who I was, who I really am. But now as a flood of memories sends a chill that turns my hands ice cold. I tremble with the knowledge that she will never know my true story, but will always live with the safer one that I have given her. Perhaps this is the way of mothers and daughters. What, after all, did I ever really know of my own mother.
0: That is so poignant. And so true. We all think that our mothers never had a life before they were our mothers. You know, (laughs) I think that that's universal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you ever Google yourself or read your reviews? And if so, how do you deal with the good ones or the bad ones?
1: Uh, I don't, Google myself, but I do look at my reviews now and then. And fortunately, they've been wonderful. I'm just so thrilled, um, just really touched um, that that most of the reviews have been very good. My, although my very first one, very first review, even before the book came out, was someone who, uh, who believed in own voices, which I, I respect, and she can have her opinion. And I, I think she did comment, though, even though it's well-written and riveting, you know, she had to give it a low score because she felt it wasn't my my place to tell that story. And of course, I worried that I would get more of that. But fortunately, I didn't. Uh, the response I've gotten has been pretty positive And I am so grateful to my readers.
0: I am as well. You know, I I say we're fiction writers. Can't we be butterflies if we want to? You know, we have men writing women's voices and women writing men's voices. And I just really think that if a story's in you, it really does have to come out.
1: Well, I'm certainly trying to all of my writing. um, I I try to reach across difference and make connections and and focus on how we're more alike than we're different. I mean, (laughs) You know, we live in a time that we need to find ways to connect, um, you know, in our country, in our community, and even in our families as we approach Thanksgiving next week, you know, um, and, and so I strive to, like I say, to reach across difference and maybe open to conversation and less conflict. Um, so that was, you know, kind of my hope with this, that it's a, it was a topic that touched me and, and it just poured out of me genuinely. And uh, I hoped that my message reached uh, the right people. So.
0: Well, I know it did. Was there anything that you edited out of the book that hit the cutting room floor? Um, no, actually, I can't think of anything I
1: edited. I think I just rearranged things. I remember I opened with her meeting Dolores Huerta and telling her story to Dolores. But I ended up uh, ultimately bookending the novel with um the opening with with her daughter the argument with her daughter and then she's more or less telling the story she wishes her daughter could hear or hopes to hear one day and the novel ends with her daughter's diary entry loose speaks at the very end um, and so you see luce's feelings her very complex feelings for her mother so i i bookended it in that way so that was a major change but i didn't i don't remember You know, cutting anything out completely.
0: Why don't you tell us about this second book that's coming out in 2023?
1: Yes, it comes out on my dad's birthday, April 11th. So that means a lot to me. Josie and Vic, um, it's a book about a sister and brother. Josie and Vic are a sister and brother in their 40s. And uh, Vic experiences a very uh, great tragedy right at the beginning of the story. He lives in Los Angeles and Josie, who lives in upstate New York, leaves her just drops everything, leaves her three beloved horses with her equine veterinarian. And she goes out to Los Angeles to help Vic through this tragedy. Um, She has a daughter, Ellie, who's a singer songwriter, a musician who has traveled um, the country in a band tour and settled in Seattle. And there's tension between Josie and and her daughter, um, who's a bit rebellious, and um, Josie and Vic themselves have a very special bond because when they were younger, their father abandoned them, and their mother had to work extra hours. And so Vic, who is older, was like a, a second parent. So they have a very very special bond. Um, in the novel, there will be a point when this estranged father comes into the picture. Ellie comes into the picture, there's you know, a lot of differences. uh, But basically, this fragmented family is given an opportunity to reconnect despite their differences. And that is my underlying message again, to try to bring connection despite differences.
0: Well, you're certainly writing about very important issues. And that's very special to put into your novels.
1: Well, that's what I love about fiction. Um, I love fiction writing because it draws the reader in to experience another person's life, to see a new perspective, and hopefully deepen their humanity. Uh, That's why I love Barbara Kingsolver. She was my favorite writer of all time. Every book she's written, she has done just that. And I've tried in my own small way to do that as well.
0: Well, Deborah, as always, our last interview question is Our writers over 50 are a unique set. Do you have advice for writers 50 and above?
1: Well, you heard what I said at the beginning. It couldn't happen at a better time. And I say that now for a couple of reasons because this is a great time to be a writer. There are so many places to have your work seen. I mean, uh, the uh, internet is, is got all sorts of places, whether it's short stories and poetry, um, as far as publishing a novel, there are self-publishing is now respected, hybrid presses, uh, small indie presses. So if you can't work your way into those, you know, big traditional ones, um, there's plenty of other places. And with all of the life experience you've lived, uh, you have something to say, don't be afraid to say it. Uh, May I say that the award I won, the Sarton Award, May Sarton, uh, she was the the champion of saying that, you know, don't hold back, write what you've lived, and, and don't be afraid of what others are going to think. So she inspired me to to continue writing loose, and I was thrilled when I won her award for that very reason. So don't hold back, and it's a great time to write. Best time it could happen.
0: That's certainly a significant award, and you have followed in her footsteps very well, so we are excited to say that you're now one of our Authors Over 50.
1: I'm so pleased to be a part of it. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday, when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication, Journey After 50 at www.juliadaily. that's D A I L Y, like daily newspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.